Hello and welcome to another episode of Building Success, a real estate podcast. My name is Nick and I will once again be your guide as we talk to some of the best and brightest in the worlds of real estate tech, operations, and financials from across the globe. This podcast would not be possible without listeners such as yourselves. So if you like what you hear and you want to hear more of it, please like, subscribe, follow us wherever you hear this podcast from, whether it be Apple Podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. Please give us a like, a share, a follow. All of that helps us know how well we're doing and bump us up in our rankings so more people can listen to this podcast and we can deliver more high-quality content to you. Speaking of high-quality content, my guest today was Anthony Slumbers, who has been in the real estate industry in various forms since around 1995. And today, we spoke specifically on the concept of space as a service and what that means, um, his definition, of which there are, there are two real uh, primary drivers of this new we work methodology um, as it relates to the commercial real estate space, specifically where things are going in that office realm. And we went down a couple different paths, um, dug into some of the data. Uh, Anthony was really good at providing some different metrics, all of which are, are in the show notes, some of the reports that he mentioned throughout. Um, really riveting conversation. I hope you all enjoy it. And without further ado, here is Anthony Slumbers. So today I am joined by Anthony Slumbers, a member of the commercial real estate industry, I think since 1995 and in various forms. Uh, you've been in the tech space, the AI space, even software development. Uh, I was hoping, Anthony, if you could kind of just give me a quick overview of yourself. Okay, well, very quickly, I have indeed been around since uh, 1995, which is a bit shocking. Actually, my first browser was Netscape 0.9 beta. So I was actually on Netscape before it even got to the alpha release. Um, to cut on story short, for, for about uh, 10 years or so, I ran a essentially a web agency um, developing uh, intranet, extranet, and customer-focused uh, web websites for re uh, commercial real estate people. I've always worked in the uh, real estate, but always pretty much on the on the commercial commercial side. So I did a, little, a lot of quite reasonable size names stuff all over UK and Europe for for a long a long time. And then in 2001, I entered into a joint venture with a company called Broadgate Estates, who are are the property management arm of British Land, who are one of the biggest real estate companies in the UK, to develop a suite of property management software, um, which we then rolled out across actually many of many of the prime buildings um, throughout throughout the city city of London and across and across across the UK, and I ran that for quite 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 a few quite a few years, and we did things like help desk systems visitor management systems, permits to work, license to alterations, and all that sort of stuff. But we also did actually what people now call tenant engagement platforms and get terribly excited about as if it's a new thing. Well, we actually launched ours in 2001. Um, um, and that was in that involved um, providing travel information, local deal information, information about your vicinity. The name of the, the name of the company was vicinity in the sense of the, the, the space around us. So I did all that for, for a long, a long, long time. And then we also did a lot of retail work, which is a lot of work with shop, shopping centers, developing uh, customer focus ends and uh, again, tenant focus, focus ends on that. So I ran all of those for quite a few, quite a few years. And then a couple of years ago, I essentially stopped doing that and I got interested, if you like, the second time around in what's the next big S-curve. So having start, started early, by the time we got to sort of 2015, I thought, well, that's pretty much that S-curve done. What is the next new thing? Um, and so I started writing a lot about that. And pretty much what I do now is I do a lot of consultation at board level, helping uh, developers, property managers, investors look at their portfolios and broadly think about what the impact of technology 
on their portfolios will be. So where will where will technology make a difference? Where will it make things more valuable? Where will, will it make things less valuable? Where will it make things obsolete? What you should buy, what you should buy, and what's coming coming down down the track. So it's a mix of um, quite a lot of uh, real estate domain expertise, but I've also done a lot of the tech side. So I'm in one of those quite lucky positions where I can explain technology to real estate people and real estate to technology people. And um, that's what I do. And I'm in one of those cool spaces where I get to hear from people talking about real estate tech and and the intersection of, of technology and real estate. And one of the things I wanted to talk about today, and it really, it's based off an article I read of yours, um, this concept of space as a service, as one of these new things coming along. And I've also heard the term workspace as a service, and maybe you can you can differentiate the two. But obviously, the real estate industry loves the use of these buzzwords. And um, I really liked an article you wrote in Prop Moto, which for those of you listening, I'll throw in the show notes. Uh, but can you, just to start things off at a high level, can you introduce what this this new new SaaS is, right? Space as a service. What what does this imply? Okay, well, 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 SaaS comes out really from my sort of technology background. I started talking about space as a service in actually 2014 because really a couple of years before that, it's in the tech world, it very much started to become um, soft, software as a service. So as people started to move to the cloud, started to just use what they wanted, when they wanted it, buy what they need, then no, no commitment, no long-term leases, um, no long-term licenses, just use what you need when you want it, but also give everyone the access to, to the, the best tools available um, ac- across the board. So I started thinking, really, all of this is going to start changing what it means, uh, what um, office space means. And I started thinking about this idea of space as a service, which to me actually has two two distinct meanings. So space as a service in one way is about procuring space on a short time as you want it type basis. So I want this room for an hour or I want this space for a week, a month or a couple of months in the same way as, you know, you, you, you hire the hire a movie from Netflix or you stream something from Spotify. So it's the procurement side. So it's the as a service, buy it when you need it. But more importantly, as things develop, is the idea of space as a service in the sense of providing people with the spaces they need and the services they need to fulfill the jobs to be done they have at that particular time. So if you start thinking about workplace in terms of what is it each individual is trying to do in that space, and then think, well, in that case, if they are trying to do X, what Y type of space do I need to provide them with? And what ABC of services? So the, the, the idea of space as a service in the sense of providing you with the space and the services you need to get to be most efficient and effective in doing what you want to do takes the whole concept into a much wider area, which is why I, I subtitled that article, the, Trilli- the Trillion Dollar Hashtag, because there's the, the, there's the on-demand procurement side of space as a service, the flex working, the co-working, which is you know, growing rap- rapidly, but it would only ever be a smallish percentage of the market. But if you think of space as a service in the sense of really good workplace that enables you to be productive, you're really talking about the whole market. So if you start thinking about the whole office market being affected by this hashtag space as a service, then you start thinking, well, yes, this is a trillion dollar hashtag. So why we've obviously real estate is a very old industry and office space is also a very old industry. Why is this, why is this occurring? Why is this shift happening now? I think it's because fundamentally technology is genuinely changing everything. A lot of people talk about the the way we work changing, but it's not really the way we work that's changing that matters. It's the work we do. So if you start looking at um, what technology is enabling now, McKinsey put out this report a couple of years ago, and they have that line, this 
quite well-known line of 49% of all the tasks that people are paid to do across the world have the capability of being automated by currently demonstrated technology, not technology of the future, currently demonstrated technology. So if you think 49% of everything, of the tasks, not the jobs, you must always differentiate between, this is not, this is not saying 49% of the jobs can be automated, yeah. it's 49% of the component tasks within within jobs and some some jobs will be 90% can be automated and some jobs will be 5%. But across the whole body of work, roughly half could be automated, could be automated by technology we have now. Now, if you start thinking of it in terms of the, say you, you, have, a, you have a smartphone now and you know your smartphone is unbelievably more powerful than it was 10 years ago and it is like a magical thing now. I just look at my phone and it lets me in. Well, think in 10 years' time, it's going to be 100 and something times more powerful than it is today. In 20 years' time, it's going to be 8,000 times as powerful. And in 30 years' time, it's going to be a million times more powerful. But let's just say it's 100 times more powerful or even 50 times more powerful. If the technology as it stands today can do half of the tasks people, people are paid to do, now where is that going to be in five years, in 10 years, in in 15 years. So you have this situation where the t where technology is really taking over any task that is structured, repeatable or predictable. So if you can break any task that, that you do down to something that is structured, repeatable and predictable, it will be automated. Things that can be automated always are automated. We may not like it, but it's an inevitable progression. If it can be automated at some stage, it, it will be. So if you think of anything that fits into that, and into that category, and then you think, ah, well, in that case, what do, we, what, do we, what do we humans do? Well, we humans do all the things that aren't structured, aren't repeatable, and aren't predictable. So we do, we do what I call new work. So I like to think of all this structured, repeatable, predictable work as, as old work. This is, this is work, this is like washing your own clothes or doing your own dishes before there was a washing machine or a dishwasher. Obviously, as soon as there was a washing machine or a dishwasher, you let the machines do it. So anyone logical will let the machines do the things that machines are good, are good at. Now, where we're very lucky is machines are good at what they're good at, and actually humans are good at what they're, they're good at. And fortunately, they're not the same things. So humans are good at design, intuition, social intelligence, judgment, empathy, those, those sorts of things, human, human capabilities, human skills. And that's the work we're going to be doing in the future. So if you, there's a, there's a, a, a still from a Jack Lemmon film in 1960 called The, the, the Apartment. And it was a, and there's, a, there's this photograph of his office in, in this film. And it looks, just like a spreadsheet. There's all these desks all lined up in a row and each of them is like a cell in a spreadsheet. You think of the old fashioned office, office where all the desks were li li lined up. It's essentially a cell in a spreadsheet where everyone is doing something structured, repeatable or predictable. So you need that sort of format for that sort of work. Now, when we're going to be doing human work, we're actually going to need completely different types of spaces because we've got to work in spaces that catalyze our human skills, that enable us to be the best humans we can be. And we know that humans perform best doing human things when they're in environments that are appropriate for the, for the, ta the task in hand, which is why offices are becoming, not least of all, much softer. Because a lot of the work we're doing in terms of social intelligence and judgment and reasoning and design and thinking is, is collaborative work. And it's not a very collaborative thing to, for four people or eight people or 16 people to be sitting at four, eight or 16 desks talking. It's much more, it's much more conducive in, their, in a comfortable environment. And as we do more and more of this human work, our office spaces are going to need to become more and more human. So the, the form factor of the office changes quite, quite dramatically. And what I think you're find, finding that's interesting at the moment, there's all the, the early 
the early-ish people who've been doing this, all the WeWorks of the world and the office group and Industrious and all, the, all these sorts of places. Now, if you go back a few years, only a few percentage percent of people might have ever been into one of those spaces. So they wouldn't have actually thought about an office could be like that. But as this is becoming more com commonplace and more and more people are experiencing these different types of offices, they're going back to base and saying, well, why is my office like this? Why do I have to work in this awful environment? Because there is a much better way. And I think you're, you're fine. The more, the more companies are human-centered. So if you think of a knowledge worker, a knowledge worker is essentially a human-centered human worker. So in many ways, the higher value jobs are the more human jobs. And that's pushing this, this whole market. So you're getting this very strong, strong push towards these new types of spaces, largely from the, um, the upper echelons, if you, if you, if you like, of business. And um, that's, that's really why it's all changing, because technology is fundamentally changing the work we do. Which is really interesting. When you were talking through that and you made the Jack Lemmon reference, in my head I had the, uh, the Kurt Vonnegut book, Player Piano. And it's the same, the same type of thing. There were Everything got automated and then what happened was there was this deviation where it became about the engineers who helped to create and optimize the machines that were doing the automation. Now obviously that was in a manufacturing context and not a real estate one, but um, the, same, the same type of mentality of the the movement to automation and how that that can change now now granted Kurt Vonnegut's was was much more dystopian and I think you're seeing this in a much more positive way um well I think uh, but I think it, it it is extremely positive yeah. because if, if if you if you approach automation and artificial intelligence and technology with a cost cutters hat on it's a dead end you 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 you're going to hit a wall quite quite quickly. If you if you, if you think about it, it, it it's that if you think of the the Charles Handy S curve of of business, where you start at the bottom left with not many customers, and that's the real in, innovative area. You've got no customers, but you've got no competition, but you can set yourself apart. And then it goes through a life cycle of becoming customized, and then productized, and then eventually commoditized. Well, that area top right is fantastic for the machines. If you're in Jack Welsh's G land of Six Sigma and everything's got to be 99.9999% um, accurate, that's, that's a world that's great for the machines, but it's a dead end. It's just perfecting one thing. There is no imp improvement on, on, on anything. No. And that's where you will end up if you think of the, if you, if you think of the machines as just a way to reduce costs, you will, you will do quite well for a while and then you'll fall off a cliff. Because the opposite mentality, where people are pulling together human and machine in, to, enable, to enable each side to leverage the skills of the other to create something new and better, they blow you out of the water. So the only, the only way to make a success is actually to humanize it. If, if, if we as societies use technology for purely technology's um, purposes and we are going to dystopia for ourselves, but I don't think that's what's going to happen because I think there's, a, there's enough people and you see, you see it within the, the tech industry, um, not, not admittedly across the whole of the tech industry because there's, there's certainly pockets of... of um, dystopian uh, narrow think, thinking there yeah. but the really smartest te tech people know that by putting by putting all these things together by putting the human and the machine together the uh, the human can make can use the machine better the machine can use uh, can can augment the humans if you think of technologies augmenting humans that's the way we're going to create great products and build, you know, we're never going to, we're not going to build a utopia, but we should be able to see a world clear of a dystopia. So it's a, it, it's like so many things. It's a mindset in the, in the first place. If you have a growth mindset and a mindset where you want to make 
you know, the old stupid tech cliche of the world a better place. Mm -hmm. But if you genuinely want things to just work better, even if it's selfishly for your own life, I'd just like my own life to work better. I'd like it to be easier to, I don't know, un unlock my front door or, or pro program the TV remote control or whatever. You know, if you just want everything to be better. And if you, if you approach it with that sort of mindset, then I think there's incredibly positive out outcomes here. So let's talk about one group in particular, and actually a lot of them are listeners to this podcast, and that's the, the property manager, the property owner. Um, I know in, in some of what we've been talking about, this, this rise in tech has been very beneficial for the companies involved with it, but I think for some um, that are managing and owning properties, this can be a more frightful time because there's, there's a bit of change ahead. How does this the same shift that we've been discussing, how does this affect the property manager? Well, if you, the, the property manager is almost, is almost the, in my mind, the, the poster child in industry for, for, for what I'm talking about here. So if you, take it, if you take it at the moment, property management is obviously a very large business because there's an awful lot of property to manage, but it's a, it's a low margin business. It's a difficult business. It's a, it's a largely commoditized, commoditized business with very little scope for differentiating, differentiating yourself. So it's a very difficult market to be in. If I own a big office building, I can get CBRE in to come and manage it. If I fall out with them, I'll just put JLL in. If I fall out with them, I'll put Cushman's in. And effectively, I will get pretty much the same thing. Now, obviously, they will all say, well, no, our service is different. But fundamentally, it's not if you think of it in pure property management terms. In terms of the old work office, they have no, they have no differentiation. But what I'm talking about in terms of this new world of new work office, so the offices that are uh, places to, to catalyze human skills and where humans go to do the things that humans are really good at, if you start thinking it in, in that case, then if you flip to the other side and start thinking about what does your customer actually want? Now, in the real estate industry, we always say, oh, well, that company needs an office. It's that size, so it needs an, an office. I don't think there's any company that's ever genuinely thought, I want an office. No company wants an office. What they want is a productive workforce. Now, they used to have to have an office in order to get a productive workforce, not least of all, because they could line them all up in a, in, a, in, a, in a spreadsheet and get them to do lots of structural, uh, structural, repeatable, predictable work. But in the new world, making a productive office is going to become increasingly difficult, but increasingly important. So if you're, if you're differentiating your business through the genuine skills and capabilities and services that your people can can create and deliver to your to your customers in order to make them as efficient and effective as possible you have got to put them in good workplace and that's one of the really big differences at the moment that the value and the importance of a good workplace is is rising dramatically now the trouble is in this new work type workplace, agile work, agile workplaces, flexible workplaces, it's complicated. It is genuinely complicated to build a really efficient, effective workplace that, that fosters pro productivity because you might have someone who has 16 different types of task that would suit 16 different types of, of um, lo localized in environment. So you might need to be providing a quiet desk, a, an event space, a small meeting room, a big meeting room, somewhere to do a podcast, someone, someone to, to have a big meeting, a small meeting, somewhere to have a quiet meeting, someone to make a telephone. All these different types of localized environments are what is needed to create a, a great workplace. And the point is that is really hard to, hard to do. So with my property management uh, clients, what I am, if you like, evangelizing is that the real estate industry needs a new type of service. 
And this is, if you like, property management plus, plus, plus. So if you think of it, the way I see property management of the future is a company that doesn't come to you and say, well, I will make sure I will make sure your um, your office runs okay and the lights work and the air conditioning works and it's nice and clean and tidy and you know I'll fill the coffee machine up and that sort of thing. That doesn't say that. Just says, well, that's obvious. That's that's the bar. That's table stakes. What I am going to do is I am going to help you create a productive workforce, and I'm going to do that by using my real estate skills, everything we we know now, and on top of that, I am going to bring in. IT skills, IoT skills, data skills, data analytics skills, workplace skills, hospitality skills, all of these different components of what it takes to build a great workplace. So you have to combine the, 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 the physical skills of, of, the, 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 of the real estate asset with then how those, the, that space is being used and then an understanding of who's using it, why are they using it, why are they not using it? And then in real time, continually measure, monitor, and optimize that space to make it the best space as a service for the customer. Now, in that world, the property manager, in effect, can go from, they never like it when I say this, but I have this line that's saying how, how to go from zero to hero. So zero is pretty much the market I look at property management at the moment. However good they are, and there's loads of really great property managers, but they don't get many thanks for when things are working, and they're the first people to be kicked when someone needs to save some money or something goes wrong. So it's a very difficult market. But if you take this line I'm talking about, this is much more hero position. This is much, much higher up the value chain because you, as the property manager, or whatever new name we need to come up, come up with to describe this new type of service, moves way up the value chain and the importance, the importance to that, that occupier. And actually, interestingly, the converse possibly happens to the landlord, you see. So at the moment, you have a situation where the landlord is, landlords are king or queen of, king or queen of the heat because they, they, they own the building. And property managers are, are, the, are, the, are the other end of it to this situation where if the most important thing about your office is, does it enable your occupier to have a productive workforce? Whoever can create and curate the space to enable that to the best ability of that particular building actually becomes the most important person, the most important entity in the value chain. The landlord is actually just, is just providing the, the, the empty shell, is not really adding any value. The value is being added by this new digital layer, this sort of combination real estate, digital, digital workplace, data, IoT, analytics type of entity in the middle. So the operator, effectively, effectively this is what, um, if, you look at, uh, if you look at WeWork with Powered by We, Effectively, this is what we're powered by. We is doing. So they they they're going to a customer and say, look, we can create, we can design, manage, optimize, and um, animate your workplace better than you can do it, and you will pay us more money to do that than you would for anyone else just to manage it. And the customer is going, well, yes, this is more expensive, but. On the basis of JLL uses thing of three thirty three hundred, so your utilities are three dollars, your rent is thirty dollars, your people are three hundred dollars. The most important thing is if you can make the your your employees as productive as they are as they are capable of being, that's worth so much more than utilities or or rent. So the person who could enable that, as I say, moves way up the value chain, and it's a absolutely huge opportunity for um for the property well it's it's actually really interesting this because you think who's can do this so at the moment you've got a situation where you've got fm companies possibly could morph morph them morph into this new type of entity you've got property management companies that could do it you have landlords who could do it themselves 
if they were so inclined, or you've got the third party operators, the WeWorks, the industrious and whatever. But either way, the point is who, who ends up as the operator of that space and ends up being probably the most valuable person in the, in the pie. So as you were saying all that, the, the piece that keeps coming back into my head, and this is maybe just playing devil's advocate for a second, um, especially with these WeWork models, they're, they're much shorter term leases, right? And the biggest thing for a landlord, for an owner, is to, is to make sure you have that high occupancy and in, in many cases, low turnover to maintain that high occupancy. Is there a way to reconcile that? The fact that you might be getting shorter term leases, there might be vacancies. Is it, is it just the, the profitability of this, this new model that helps to reconcile that? Or what are your thoughts there? I, I think it's a case of people carry on buying things that, are, that they either really like or that are good for them. So the situation at the moment is, if you, if you look at the, the, the Leesman Index, the Leesman Index has, done, has now done more than 500,000 interviews of employees in various office spaces, and it asks them a whole range of questions, one of which is, does your workplace enable you to be productive? And after 500,000 interviews, it's stalled at just, uh, just over 50% of people say, yes, my workplace enables me to be productive. So you've got nearly half the people, if Leesman is a, is, a, is a good guide, in offices who don't believe their workplace enables them to be productive. Now that to me is, is a huge hashtag fail. The second <laughs> hashtag fail in the office market is that Frankly, your occupier doesn't use your space very much. If you look at the occupancy of a desk, it's again circa 50%. So you've got your space is only being used about half the time, and half the people don't think it's really very good for them anyway. But they're signed, they've signed a lease, so you've got them, so happy days. But that's not. That's not a sustainable position. If people start having the option of moving because more and more of the total supply becomes flexible, they will, they will move. And where are they going to go? They're going to go to places that they use more intensively and that are better for their own internal productivity. So I would, I would say the more secure office building is one where it's occupied by people on probably very short leases, but who have really high satisfaction. And if you, if you could get satisfaction levels to 70% of, of the people in your building think you, that building helps them be productive and they use it 70% of the time, the fact that they're on a short lease, I don't think really matters because they're not going to go. If, if you provide a good enough service, people will stay. And more than that, they, they will pay you more for it. I think there's a, there's a big paradox going on at, at, at the moment. And that is, if you look at, um, if you look at certainly the larger companies, when, in, if you take London, for instance, whenever a larger company moves in London over the last few years, they've reduced their space needs by 20 to 40%. So if they used to take 100,000 square feet, they will now, now take 60, 70,000 square feet. So, and, and they will take it on a shorter lease than they, they would have done some time ago. So that looks really bad. But on the, on the other hand, the, 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 the game here, the win-win here is to get someone who would have taken 100,000 square feet to take 50,000 square feet, but pay you the equivalent of 70,000 square feet because you're going to provide a whole range of additional services for them that is going to essentially make them happy and is going to provide them with what they need to do the jobs that they have, they have to get done. And they will still save money by paying more. Because as soon as, as, soon as you can unbundle 
And this is really the great success of WeWork. They have unbundled office space from per square foot per, per person. That's not what you pay for. You're not paying for the, for, for the, the square footage. You're essentially, you are paying for the, for the service. So my, my feeling about who's secure and who's not secure come the next downturn is I would be really nervous if I had a lot of tenants in old, rather dull, boring, conventional office space with a few years left on their lease. Because I think when that comes up, they will go and you won't be able to let it again. Because I don't think going forward five years or certainly 10 years, in five years time, people won't want that sort of, sort of space. So the secure places are actually going to be paradoxically the ones that on the face of it have the least security. But they're going to make up for that lack of security by simply providing a much better service to their customer. And this is, this is almost the central point of everything to do with space as a service. That traditional real estate has always been about selling a product. You sell that product and then you're gone. Even if, you, um, even if it's a lease, you might say, oh, well, I'm interested in keeping my tenant happy. But once they sign that 10-year lease, the only thing you're really interested in is that they pay their rent every, every three months. As it moves to a service industry, you have got to pay attention. You have got to understand your customer first off, and then you've got to pay attention to your customer each and every day. Now, all of that is obviously an added cost, an added irritation. Well, irritation in a way, it's more work. There's more, you need a whole new sort of organization to do it. But in a service, in a, in a service world, you have the opportunity to differentiate yourself by providing the user experience that is better than your competitor. In product land, the only real way you could differentiate yourself would be that my prime office is in a slightly better location than your prime office, but essentially it all looks the same. In the service world, you understand what, you, what your customer is, and then you design the user experience of your space around what your customer wants. And my contention is, regardless of the length of tenure, if you provide a user experience that provides your customer with what they want, and you know, unless you're lucky, unless you're unlucky enough and they go bust, they ain't going anywhere. You've got them. They will keep paying because they need to pay because that's what enables them to have a productive workforce. And so this is. This is really interesting in my head because you've got you've got so many different factors at play changing the overall valuation of a property. So you're you're referencing the fact that you're changing the layout. Um, people are moving into spaces and they need less space. So you're able to, in many instances, get more tenants in the same allotted space. You're doing, in some cases, vital. Um, maintenance, but in others, just just design changes and adding new services. All of that has to be changing the the valuation for some of these properties as well, right? Uh, absolutely. Valuation is a really really interesting area at the moment, and 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 obviously it's critically important because valuation you you in the mon the money side of the equation, and without the money side of the equation being right, nothing nothing gets gets done. So it's, it's crucial, crucially important to understand the changes coming to valuation. But I think that, I, I think that the, the, the notion that valuation is essentially based on rent, those days are large, are largely gone. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that people will, will stop taking decent, decent length leases. They, they will, but they are going to definitely take 50,000 square, 50, square feet instead of 100,000 square feet. So they're going to take, they're going to take on a longer lease. Their 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 base, their their base core need, and then their then their their flex the rest of it. But in addition, in addition to pay, paying rent, there are so many opportunities in a space as a service world to provide additional services. In, 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 also, in all sorts of ways. It can be as, as simple as 
paying for your printing or, or paying for a meeting room or paying for an event space. But it could be paying, paying for insurance. It could be paying for um, discounts on software. It can, be pay, it can be training. It can be anything. It doesn't really matter. If you, if you think of the total needs of your customer during the day within their space, how much of that can you or your ecosystem of um, partners pr provide? And so the, the percentage, the component of the total income of a building in terms of rent, I think is going to continually reduce and you're going to get more and more components of, um, of, ser of services. Now, obviously, the huge problem in, in commerce, whether it turns out to be a problem or not, I don't really know. It's not really my area, is effectively you're changing the office market from a, a, a from one with bond type characteristics to equity standard business. So this building is being valued not as a bond where a customer in there we know what the rent's going to be and it's going to go up for the next 50, 15 years, but you're going to it's going to be valued based on the the income you can generate out of that. Now that obviously that obviously changes changes things um, con considerably. But again, the, the, the flip side of this is it offers so much opportunity and increases the importance of, of building user experiences and, and building brands and being known for providing a certain type of service. So I, I, I have this phrase that I use of uh, UX equals brand and brand equals value. So the user experience of your space will come to your brand will come to reflect the user experience of your space so think of this in terms of luxury cars so i don't know audi mercedes bmw the most important customer for any of them is the person buying their first luxury car because if i can get if if i as mercedes can get you to buy an entry level mercedes chances are i'm going to keep you for the next few cars same with BMW, same with Audi. People do not tend, they tend to buy into, uh, they buy into the brand. So I'm a Mercedes person or a BMW person or an Audi person. Now I'm thinking of this in terms of what is my, what am I buying into as a, as a, as a customer in real estate? Now it could be just take it as an example. You could be a, a WeWork type company. Or you might be an industrious type. I'm sure if you talk to industrious, they'll say they're offering a completely different user experience than we work are. And if you take someone like the Office Group, who are very big over here, owned by owned by Blackstone, they will also say, well, they're a completely different user experience as well. So one of one of them's Hilton, one's Four Seasons, one's Premier Inn, one's Marriott, one's whatever, whatever. They're different brands for di for different for different customers. So the importance of of building a reputation for being the purveyors of a certain type of user experience will be reflected in your brand. And I think that brand value is potentially going to be really big. So you look at we WeWork, they, they, released their, um, their, they released their numbers, didn't they, yesterday yeah. for, for flotation, and it's, gone, it's $47 billion now. You know, it, just gets, it gets ever more nutty. But, you know... But what percentage of that is the brand? What is the WeWork brand worth now? And, and I would hazard a guess that it's worth a hell of a lot to, because for a particular type of customer, they're, they're your go-to go people. And so get, get, getting back to the, the valuation side, clearly all of this starts making valuation a lot more complex and certainly very different to now my argument would be that the the net effect is going to be very good and very bad i think the i think the potential to carry on valuation the valuation of your portfolio by not doing anything pretty much as it is now is going to be very low i think you are either going to be losing a lot of money in your valuations or you're going to be gain, gaining a lot. And that's going to be down to how well, ultimately, you transform, you 
you can transform your space into space as a service, as I say, in, the, in, that, widest, in that widest meaning of providing a space that fulfills the requirements of your particular customer. If you can nail that, I think your valuations, you, your, you have the potential to earn considerably more money. If you don't nail that, or you do it badly, or you don't do it at all, I really think you're going to end up with a lot of commoditized space, no differentiation, and attractive to people who aren't really that bothered about their employees. So let's let's talk about WeWork. As you as you just mentioned, this is a an interesting time for for not only them but for us to have this conversation with their recent announcement of their IPO. How do you think that's going to affect them and basically the industry as a whole now that this front runners kind of come out and, and going public? And I, find, I find the whole WeWork thing absolutely fascinating. In, in a way, I'm a complete fanboy. <laughs> uh, you know, in the old way, you know, you used to have Apple fanboys that would buy yeah. anything. But even, even with Apple, I'm much less of a, a total fanboy now. Half of me is a complete fanboy in that I genuinely do think they are the most um, innovative thing to happen in real estate, certainly as, as long as I can remember. I am hugely impressed by, by, by their ambition, by their attention to innovation and change and their understanding and embracing of technology and their desire to think through their, the whole experience of owning and operating a space. So I love the idea that when you know the, they, they partly select the, the, the spaces that they, they sign up for using AI and all manner of non-real estate related criteria, data, data points. And then the first thing they do is they go in and they LIDAR and they, they scan the scan scan the whole place and then they do a lot of their own design and their own construction and they do their monitoring and they do da di da di da di da di da I, th- I think that is abso- absolutely fan- fantastic um, and will be standard operating procedure I think for for any office building as I say it's not necessarily that the, the, the landlord's going to do it um, but I certainly talk to my landlord clients along the lines of, well, if you're not going to do it yourself, you need to be partnering with someone who can do this in a very tight, very tight relationship. That said, there's clearly a certain madness about the whole WeWork thing. You start talking $42, $47 billion and you think, well, uh, you know, you turn over 1.8 billion in a year, but you lose 1.9, and there's, there's a certain uh, craziness about it, which I'm sort of used to a bit with my sort of tech hat on, because you know Uber's just going to float at 80 billion dollars and has never made a cent. <laughs> they, 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 they've lost ten, tens of billions. So, you know, in that sort of world, or you know, and face, Facebook, what's Facebook worth? It's un, unbelievable. Um, the difference, of course, is in purely software companies, you're very asset light, whereas in real estate companies, it's much harder to be asset light. Um, so whilst I'm quite scornful of all that we work, we work are just Regis with a beer pump. I'm very scornful, <laughs> of, scornful of that. You, you hear a lot of that over here, or we work, oh, they're just Regis with a beer pump. Um, they're clearly not. They're offering something very, very, very different. Um, whilst I, in, in, in many, in, in many ways, I, I think with WeWork, it sort of actually doesn't matter what happens to them as such. It might turn out. I, I could see how they could make this valuation make, make sense, and I could see how they could diversify in the same way as Amazon diversified. And actually, Adam Newman said that once, didn't he? He said, he said well, if you, if you think of us as just an office company, that would be like going back to year 2000 and saying that Amazon is just a bookseller. Once you start thinking in terms of 
who owns this customer relationship, how much, how many touch points do you have with your customers, and what opportunity is there for you to fulfill the wants, needs, and desires of your customers? You start thinking, well, wow, WeWork could really, they could, they could, they could go off into all manner of different directions, which is sort of what they're doing with WeWork and We Live and the gyms and all, and all this sort, sort of stuff. But genuinely, they could. They are, building, they are building a network of customers who they know a great deal about, and they are building an ecosystem of partners that will enable them to sell more and more things to their network, their network of customers. And that, to me, is... An, is a really important lesson for real estate because real estate has this strange thing that if you compare real estate to the likes of Unilever or Procter and Gamble or Colgate and you think of the billions of dollars they spent each year trying to get close to their customer and the money they spend to understand their customer and then you can compare that with the real estate industry that has all its customers in its building every day and knows nothing about them you start thinking there is a huge wasted opportunity here. The more you know about your customer, the more opportunity you you have to to service them in all manner all manner of ways. And nobody nobody has the access to their customers that real estate does because our customers are in our buildings every single every single day or every other day. We have huge touch points with our customers, so I can quite see how they how they they could pull it off. It is definitely in the high, high risk, high reward um, side of the equation. But even if they don't, I think they have completely transformed the industry full stop. Without WeWork, it's the same as Tesla and electric vehicles. If you think of electric vehicles now, everyone makes them. You know, GM making make, make them, Chrysler making them, Audi making them, Mercedes making them. They're all making electric vehicles. How many of them would be making electric vehicles if there wasn't a lunatic called uh, Elon Musk running a company called Tesla? And the answer is probably none of them. Tesla has completely catalyzed the electric vehicle market and turned it into something different. And I think WeWork have animated and catalyzed the real estate industry and by sheer force of force of spending have changed what it means to be in real estate so regardless of how we work end up the industry is fundamentally is fundamentally changed i think we were are well, funny, funny enough, I thought I was the first person to start talking about space as a service in 2014. I actually came across an early slide deck from WeWork in 2014, and they have the word space as a service in, in it. And they're the only, only other ones I've seen so early using the same, the same phrase. Which is what you get from every one of these innovators and in every one of these different industries you just mentioned, right? They're on top of it well before. I mean, the the Bezos Amazon, there was an interview I saw on LinkedIn um, that he did well before they were doing anything beyond books. And he's like, we're not a bookseller, right? We're we're a way of getting product to customers in a new and innovative way. That 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 is it that is exact exactly the the point. And the, the interesting the, the 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 real key, I think, is funny funny enough, I just read um the uh the, what's it called? The the everything store. Well, this is the the biography of, of Bezos, which mm -hmm. which which is fantastic. Um, and the story behind AWS. So AWS is that is their is their their money tree at the moment. Yeah. Some people thought, oh well, AWS was just monetizing the the the, the system that they used, and that was that went around for a long time. Oh, you know, they Amazon were using all this all this infrastructure and they just thought, oh, we'll sell it on to someone else. It's not true at all. AWS was deliberately set up because they need they needed something that was going to make some serious money. Book, books were never going to, turned out that they could retail, they never could make that much money about. So if you, if you, if you read the book, it tells, it tells the story about how Bezos was going around saying, we need a new 
we need something new. We need something that fits our network, our capabilities, our skills, but it's much higher, but it's much higher margins. And that's how AWS came to be. And then it turned into a complete, you know, the, what's the opposite of money pit, money mountain, I suppose. Um, <laughs> and it's an interesting thought with, with WeWork, where they're not going to, they're not going to justify $47 billion by lease arbitrage. What is it that they are going to justify it by? And I don't, I don't know what the answer is, but I do know because the, because the, the, the dynamics are the same. Networks and the ecosystems are really important. In, in the software industry, everyone wants a big net customers and they want an ecosystem of suppliers providing things that they can sell to their customers. So if you think of the App Store, the App Store is the front end to their ecosystem of providers who can sell things to Apple's uh, uh, iPhone, iPhone customers. Or, feed, or Facebook, of course, is, is, is the old. I think there's going to be a number of big brands. I don't think WeWork's going to be the, the only one in the same way that, you know, there's not, there's not only one great ho hotel brand. But they, yeah. they might end up like, um, oh, is, 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 is Marriott the, the parent company for all the different hotel brands? I'm not sure. can't remember. But they're run, if you think of the hotel groups, they have all their, all their sub, sub, -brands. sub brands. Yeah. And I, and, and, I, and I can see that. I, I, had, I did a presentation a few years ago, which I put to a, a large um, uh, REIT, REIT over here. And it was about how you should be adjusting your portfolio. And I said to them, in a, in a utopian world, you would be able to take two people out of university and put them in one of your spaces. And then over 30 years, as they built their business and got bigger and bigger, you would have a product for them all the way through until every now and again, one of them would knock it out of the park and you'd build an HQ for them. But you would essentially be thinking, what is the lifetime value of this customer? What, what, what is the value if I can keep this customer for 30, for 30 years? Then, then you start changing, changing the idea, the idea of valuations, don't you? If you start thinking life, lifetime costs. So, you know, out, out, going back to the cars, Audi, Mercedes, BMW, you spend a vast amount of money trying to get that 20-year-old to buy their first luxury car because the lifetime value of that customer will be huge. Now, if I can provide, if I can provide a user experience that suits someone the whole way through their career, I potentially, I potentially have got a lot of loyalty. I, I don't know. It, it, might not, it might not be possible. You know, air, airline, airlines do it. Some, some pull it off better than others. Hotel, hotels do it that, you know, for people who travel around, they always go to the same hotel because that hotel knows them, et cetera, et cetera. And those are very valuable Customers, casinos do it, don't they? They, they? they understand their their whales and their needs and wants and desires, and they pander the hell to them and they keep them. So I don't know. It's a it's it's a big unknown world. What happens when real estate goes from product to service? Well, Anthony, that is a great segue here into our close. I want to thank you so much for your time today. And what's uh, what's new and exciting in your world at the moment? I know uh, MIPUM's coming up, and you've been you've been preparing and writing some articles leading up to that conference. What else are you up to? Yes, I've been I've been I'm working my way through. I'm writing five five articles ahead of MIPUM PropTech in Paris in in July. Um, I'm I'm doing a lot of a lot of speaking at the moment. I was in Helsinki. Helsinki yesterday. I'm coming to New York uh, week after, week after next, and then going going to Bang Bangalore soon, and Lisbon and Madrid, and various various places like that. Um, as as I said, I do a lot of consultancy work with uh, property managers, landlords, and in investors. So I sort of my time is pretty much half and half now between speed speaking at events, public events, and private events, and doing quite in-depth, down-in-the-weeds, um, ana analytics, strategic analytics for various players looking at how their, their industry and their, their business is going. 
everything about me is on anthonyslumbers.com. All my blog posts are on there. They're also on, on LinkedIn. And if you are a member of the Twitterati, you will find me at, at Anthony Slumbers on Twitter, where I do tweet quite a lot. Well, thank you again so much for your time. It was really a pleasure speaking with you today. It was a really great conversation. I really enjoyed it. It was a pleasure. Thank you for asking me. And again, if you'd like any more information on Anthony, his website, www.antonyslumbers.com. That's A-N-T-O-N-Y slumbers.com. And I'll, I'll put all the information we talked about today in the show notes, some of the articles that were raised, um, as well as some information. And some of the articles I found really interesting from Anthony, including his blog, I'll be sure to throw in there as well. And Again, if you want any more information on Building Success, check out our newly rebranded website at www.buildingsuccess.io. And until next time, we will see you later.